Good morning once again and welcome. My name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at Downtown Community and it is great to be with you guys today on this last Sunday in October, believe it or not. And outside here in Jersey City this morning, it feels very much like the last Sunday in October. And today I'm excited to be with you as we are starting a new four-week um, conversation series and it's called Leading Through. Leading Through. And so we just walked through um, a series on lament and we've talked about our identity in Christ along with our need to lament to God and to pray prayers and grieve um, what has been happening in our lives and the upheaval and the change. And anytime you go through something like that or you've experienced great loss, God has made us to grieve, and that's very important. And we've been diving into the deeper things of this year. We've walked through how important our story is. We've walked through what it means to live without fear. And so as we begin to engage fall, I just want to take a four weeks just to be very practical about how we engage a time like this. And how do you lead your own life? How do you lead in your profession or how do you lead others that you may be leading and in charge of when times are uncertain? What does that look like? And so really it's a conversation about leadership. And so today what we're going to do is a four-week series, this four-week conversation, and I'm just going to talk through a general overarching thing that will help guide us. And then next week we'll begin to talk about three essentials for navigating uncertainty. Three Essentials for Navigating Uncertainty. We'll begin to dig into those big three things next week. But today I really want to talk about just a big overarching principle of how we lead our lives and how God has called us and given us great things to lead our lives with. And so we want to kind of talk through that. And I'm going to talk through a story here in just a little bit around those things. But man, leading in a time like this is has been very hard. If you're honest and you're willing to admit this, uh, this is not easy to do. And so depending on where you're at in your job and your profession, I know many of you are in places where you lead. You are in leadership. You have a team of people under, under you. Or maybe you lead a family. Uh, or you're married. There's leadership stuff happening there. But if you have kids, um, you're leading a family in, in those respects. And maybe you would say, well, I'm not really leading anybody. Well, I would say you at least lead yourself. You lead yourself. And I would say that no matter where you're at on that spectrum, we've all been in, encountering this, 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 uh, ha, this problem of how do you lead in uncertainty. And, and so the, one of the things um, is, that's hard is you know, people, if you're in a place of leadership, are looking to you for leadership during this time. And I've had many conversations with you, uh, from uh, many of you, as, as you've walked through this time, and how you are trying to find ways to meet the challenges of constant change and constant uncertainty. And so one of the things for us to really know is, and admit if you're willing to, is if you are a leader, you don't actually know everything to do. And so at some point along the way over the last several months, you have been and I have been, we've all been making this up as we go. And we're trying to find a way but for many things, this is the first time we've had to do it and do it in this way. And so a good leader is someone who's willing to admit that I don't know how to do this. I don't have all the answers. And that will go a long way in your jobs. But we're honestly just making this up as we go. We're still uncertain about the future. 
And we're not certain of how things will play out this fall and how things will play out this winter. And so all we see is just constant predictions. And then we never really see a whole lot of follow-up, same with the, the predictions back in April. Because probably if we looked at the predictions back in April, some things would be true, some things would look really, really foolish. And we have looked really, really foolish. And then as a leader, you're like, I don't want to look like that. And so it is not easy. We don't have all the answers. We don't always know what to do. And that is okay. That speaks to uncertainty. And uncertainty is always a part of life. It is a permanent part of our life. And it's a permanent part of leading others and engaging others and in leading yourself. And it is why God made us to be leaders. It's why the world needs leaders. And it's, and it's why it's important to lead ourselves well. And so this series is as much for me and is a reminder for me to go back and to be reminded of these principles and to discover and to learn them. I've been reading a lot as, as COVID has hit and we've been engaging the world we're in, just constantly looking at other leaders and how they're leading and great advice for those that I believe are leading well. And so I'm hoping to incorporate some of those principles. And today I want to go back to something that we've actually discussed before. We've talked about this. I've read through a, the story that we're reading from today to be coming out of Daniel. And it's two um, stories that, that's really one big story, but it feels like two different uh, two different stories of two different uh, people. And so we're going to talk through this today. So if you've been with us a while the last couple of years, I don't remember exactly when we did this, but, but you may remember this. And if you missed that Sunday, then you're like, well, I've never heard this before. So that'd be great. So anyway, this is a good reminder for us. But there's some things we need to know about. I'm just going to give you some of these things up front today. And, and one of them is this, is that life is a stewardship of what God has given us. Life and leadership it is ultimately a stewardship. And so today's story is going to help to bring this out for us and help us see this. And so what's interesting is we're going to be reading an ancient story from the book of Daniel, which we find in our Old Testament scriptures, from a historical place and time, real events that happened. And in that time, people were actually called stewards. And a king... In ancient times, a steward was appointed by a king, and it was, it was essentially given the authority to lead and to do things on the, the king's behalf, and the king loaned it to him. So authority was given. And if you've read any accounts from you know, kingdoms in the past, it can also be taken away. And many you know, awful rulers were known for how they took it away more than how they gave it. But a steward was someone who was given that authority, could act on behalf of the king. And so leadership and stewardship is interesting, and we're going to look at that a little bit today. Um, and so we have a responsibility to the people that we engage with and lead in our lives. We are all stewards in some capacity. And then leadership is temporary. Leadership is temporary. I don't know if you know this, and this year we've been reminded, especially in our Western culture, more than normal, more than usual, is that we're not here forever. At some point, what we do is temporary. And you can just go as far as your position or where you're at and the stage of your life right now. It's not always going to look like this. 
It's all temporary. If you are a study of history and if you take the wisdom of what you see, even our own nation is not going to be here forever. It is all temporary. And so if time will eventually run out on your influence, on your authority. And so knowing that eventually there's an expiration date to this time, we don't have to go fully morbid with this thought, but not everything lasts in this time. Like we, Knowing that there's a time limit, there's a clock on this, it should inform our posture and our tone as leaders, and it should form our posture and our, and our tone as we engage and live our lives, as we learn from other leaders as well. It changes our perspective. We need to understand that it is temporary. And then we are also accountable. We are accountable. Everybody is accountable to somebody for how they steward or manage their influence. And if you believe that all men and women have been created in God's image, that they are valuable, that they have worth, that means that the people that you lead or your families your children, or whatever it may be in your life, they are technically your brothers and sisters. We are, we are ultimately accountable to God how we love others, how we love God and how we love others. Jesus taught this and he modeled this. God has always been showing us these things. And so today, our story that we're going to engage in is going to help illustrate this. And we're going to talk about story in Daniel. It's an amazing book. You should read it sometimes. Uh, there's some great resources that help us understand Daniel in greater ways. If you ever want to know more, just reach out to me. I'd love to help direct you toward those. But it's a phenomenal story. And today we're going to hear about a crazy dream that a king had. And I don't know, in, in, you know, at some point Mitt broke up in the middle of the night after this huge dream. And we believe God sent him. I don't know if you've ever had like a, a pretty intense dream and you've woken up sometime in the middle of the night. Um, so we've all done this, right? And you wake up and it feels so intense and real. And like you're, sometimes there's, it's, if you wake up in the middle of whatever's happening, you feel that intensity like deep in you. And it's amazing. You feel those emotions. And sometimes it can take, if I've woken up in a time like that, it takes me a while to actually calm down and be like, okay, this wasn't real. Like if it's something really crazy that's happening, like you still feel like even though you're like back in the world and maybe you're like, oh, thank goodness. That wasn't that didn't happen, and like whatever the scenario might be. And there's other times where I'll just randomly wake up, and I don't know what it is about the middle of the night, but I think some of my most deepest and serious thoughts in that moment. I don't, are you like that? Like I'm not sure that, and I'll feel something deeply about work, about my pursuit of God, like those things that are or my family, and and then I'll be like, man. And I'll just start thinking about something, and it feels like in more clarity than I do during the day. I don't know what it is about that state that gets you into that deepest part of who you are. And so maybe this is part of what happened in, in this dream, where maybe this is why God would use dreams to speak uh, to people at times. And so this story that we're going to read from today takes place around 580 B.C. It's a long time ago. It's a historical place in time. And the main character was an extraordinary military and political leader of this time. And he confused progress with greatness. That's the key thing. He, he confused the progress that he made with greatness. And we see this all over our culture and our world today in many different, different mediums. 
And so this is his, the king's name is King Nebuchadnezzar. And so uh, he was the most powerful man in the world in his day at this specific time. He was the king of Babylon. And he resided within the great city of Babylon at the time. And it was essentially located right where modern-day Iraq is right now. That helps us give perspective of where this was. And so about 20 years before our story takes place, Nebuchadnezzar's army invaded Judah. And they went in and decimated Israel. And so the, the, the city of Jerusalem was the center of Judah at the time. And he left it in place. But he went and ransacked some of the, the, the best and the brightest people and leaders and influencers of the time in that city and brought them back. It was a habit that he had to bring them back and to have them dig in to serve and influence and build his kingdom. It's kind of a smart move to help your kingdom continue to be wise and all those different things. And so uh, he essentially took them as hostages, hostages. He brought them back. And Daniel was one of these people. But a few years later, he returned to Jerusalem and, and eventually ransacked and destroyed it and brought back all of their highest valuables. And he destroyed the temple and brought back all of um, you know, the, the, um, the gold and the silver and other things and placed them in this palace vault. So he looted all their most uh, prizes, especially everything from the temple that was very sacred to them. And so when all this happened, for Daniel and the Judeans and others that had been invaded, they saw this as, as believers in God. They saw this as God's punishment. And they, for them, the moral of the story was that God was judging the nation of Israel for its disobedience, its willful disobedience of how it had turned away from God. Essentially, God was putting their nation in time out. But for Nebuchadnezzar, he saw this completely different, completely different. And so he, he had seen this. What he saw it was through his God, he worshipped Marduk, the god Marduk. His God, he was like essentially, my God is more powerful than the Jewish God, and you've probably heard of Marduk or studied it in his story, in history, and things of that nature. But his God was bigger than the Jewish God, Yahweh, Yahweh, and so Israel's God had lost. That was the end of the story, and as it turns out, that wasn't the end of the story, and that's why we know this story today and are still talking about it. And so Daniel, uh, this God-fearing, living God, Yahweh-fearing man, uh, recorded these events and wrote them down. And he had been in the Babylon for about 20 years when this uh, story happened. And he became a trusted advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar, one of his top advisors. And according to Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had a disturbing dream and was sure that it had significant meaning. And so we, this is where we're going to pick this up. This is found in Daniel 4. And it says here, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at, the home, at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I love those phrases. I was contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. And so he had this massive dream, and he dreams of this beautiful, enormous tree, visible to all the earth, and all animals rested under its canopy. It was so large. And it provided food for all the earth's creatures, then and then as the dream continues, he hears a voice from him that says, cut the tree down, take it out. And suddenly the tree was cut down to a stump. And then the voice says, we'll pick it up here, it says, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. 
And let his mind be changed that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times passes by him. So the voice announces then that the decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that. And here is the bottom line for us today, also as well, obviously, for Nebuchadnezzar. It says, let everything know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is something that, a statement that we see that God has given us, that we really, really, really need to know and, and remember and to trust, especially in times where we don't feel like God is very sovereign, or we don't like the leader that we are under, or whatever it could be. This is important for many people who pursue politics and mix, mix, mix it a lot with religion, where we say, if this happens, then religion will be okay. And we've forgotten many times in those statements that God is sovereign, He's the one in control. He's the one who ultimately allows our leaders to be into place. And we need to remember where our perspective is. The Most High is sovereign over kingdoms of men. He gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. This is Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he wakes up terrified. He's freaking out. And he knows this has something to do with him. So he calls in all the usual suspects and the people who are supposed to have wisdom, the, the sorcerers or whatever, that can interpret his dream, and they either can't or they won't. They're like, if I get this wrong, I don't want to be this. And so eventually he goes and he calls Daniel to help interpret this dream. And when Daniel hears his dream, Daniel is also terrified. Not because he's scared to, to try to interpret it, because he knows what the dream means. And he's terrified that Nebuchadnezzar you know, how he's going to respond. And so Daniel is so terrified that Nebuchadnezzar has to comfort Daniel. <laughs> he's like encouraging him. And so Daniel eventually says, he was my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, this would be great. You'd be dancing. You'd be super excited about this. But as you can kind of tell, it doesn't. It refers to Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel's like, it's about you. And he probably, I'm imagining, is like stepping back as he begins to share what this is. He tells the king what the dream means. He says, the Most High has decreed that you will be driven away from people. And you will become like a wild animal. You will humiliate yourself publicly. And this will go on until you acknowledge that. And maybe he takes another step back. I'm, I don't know why I'm doing it here, but it just feels good to actually act that out. But anyway, he says, he says, and you need to acknowledge, he goes, you will do this and go on until you acknowledge that the Most High, not you, in my interpretation here, not Marduk, is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. He says, then your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, please be, be pleased to accept my advice. Now Daniel is full on into his advisor role. This is his, something he'd been given the authority to do with the king. He says, you've been given this, all right? So renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. 
So Nebuchadnezzar was terrified, but apparently not that much. Maybe the intensity of the dream wore off. He began to just go about his life. He didn't really like the outcome of this. Nothing changed for an entire year, full 12 months. And then everything changed. 12 months later, it says here, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he's overlooking everything he's got in front of him. He goes, is this not the great Babylon? You can imagine some awesome movie scene, right? You know, he's standing there. He's got his arms outstretched, very dramatic. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. If you're following along, this is the type of place in the movie where the music changes. Dun, dun, dun. You can feel it. They cue you in. You guys know what's coming, right? You can guess. It says here, Daniel writes, The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been, what? Taken from you. It was taken because it was given. It was on loan. It was a stewardship. Temporary. Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't know it, but you are accountable. You have been called to account. Then the voice from heaven says, you'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass. We don't know exactly how many years that is. That means seven years or exactly whatever that is. But he says, seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that. We could probably all just say this together. We won't today. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And it says, immediately, immediately, he was driven away from people and ate grass like His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails were like claws of a bird. He essentially had lost his mind and, and he was possibly stricken with a condition, a known condition being diagnosed by psychiatrists and you, you can actually find this as boanthropy. Boanthropy is a psychological disorder where sufferer believes he or she is a cow or an ox. Interesting. His attendants or his wife, someone later found him crawling around on his hands and knees, and they took him to a private garden. They're like, we just got to get him away. We're going to try to cover this up as much as we possibly can. You hear this about dictators around the world. Like you hear you know, rumors like we think that they're sick or injured, and they just kind of come away from public eye over something that's happening. So maybe they're just roaming around on their hands and knees, just like Nebuchadnezzar was. I don't know. But eventually he comes back to his senses after a certain amount of time doing this, and when he was told what had happened and how he had behaved, he was humiliated. And he begins to put two and two together. He remembers the dream and Daniel's interpretation of it. And it says, right here, Daniel records Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's confession. It's hard to say, Nebuchadnezzar's confession. And here's what he says. He says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. He said, I praise the Most High, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is, etern is the, an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt the glory of the King of Heaven. Which I say, Marduk, no more. He says, because everything he does is right 
and his ways are just. And then he says this statement, he says, for those who walk in pride, and this is the lesson for him and for us today, for those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I think it's so important for us to recognize that God has placed us here in our lives with the resources, people that we have, even if you don't like them, or it's hard, or you don't like the person that's over you. God is sovereign. He's in your life. And we need to recognize that God has placed us here at this time. We have these people influencing our lives, and we are influencing people as well. We have a great opportunity to lead well and to love others. I mentioned there are two stories here, and I'll briefly go through this last one. But, but 40 years later, 40 years go by after all of this happened. And eventually Nebuchadnezzar is, is not on his throne. And uh, they, there's a couple kings that went by, and eventually a king, and it's, I don't even know how to say his name, King Nabonidus came into power. He's a new He's the new king of Babylon, but he is no king Nebuchadnezzar. The glory of Babylon is fading, and the Persians, Persian Empire is beginning to really come up. And Cyrus the Great is leading the Persian Empire, and they're beginning to flex all of their military might, their economic muscle, and all those different things. And so he sets his sight on the great city of Babylon and its legendary wealth and all those different things, and it's what seemed to be an impenetrable city. That was their goal. And he launches a campaign against the entire nation. And so King Nebuchadnezzar puts his co-regent, Belshazzar, there's so many names, I'm sorry, but his co-regent, Belshazzar, into, to be in charge of the city. And he goes off, the king goes off to war to face the Persians and to confront them. And Cyrus decimates the Babylonian armor and captures King Nebuchadnezzar and then marches on Babylon, the city of Babylon. Even though he's aware that the city's defenses make it mostly impenetrable. It's like it, 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 was, it seemed to be impossible to get into this city. And Belshazzar knew this. And he was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And the story refers to him as his son, but that's just how they wrote about it, just so you know. And so he is like, all right, they're coming on us. I'm essentially the king now, but this city is impossible. So he fortifies the city, and he throws a massive party. He's incredibly arrogant. It says here in Daniel 5, it says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. I don't know if you've ever thrown a party and again, purchased wine for people where you felt like it was a large party. Like, you've got to get a lot and beverages to get that going, right? Can you imagine doing this for a thousand people? This is a massive party. It says, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Remember that? Remember that part of the story? So they brought in the, uh, the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and, and the king's nobles, his wives, and concubines, they drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Just bringing out their folly, what their confidence was in. And finally, Yahweh, the real living God, said, this is it. It says, suddenly, this is a very famous story, even if you believe in God or not. 
You ever heard the phrase, the writing is on the wall? This is where it comes from. It says, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand of the royal palace. And at this point, the party stopped. <laughs> and they watched, the king watched the hand as it wrote. And they're like, what kind of wine is this? Is what probably what they're thinking, or what were you smoking over there? I don't know, but anyway... He can't read what's being written. Nobody could read it. They didn't understand it. And it says that his face turned pale. And he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. He's freaking out. And so his wife comes in and she says, don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who is the spirit of the holy gods in him. King Nebuchadnezzar appointed him chief of the musicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He has the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and to solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. And he will tell you what this writing means. Apparently, everybody forgotten about Daniel. He's probably in his 70s at this point. He's ushered in, and, and Belshazzar gives his promise that he will give all the glory and wealth, you know, and promote this person, whoever will do it. And he can interpret this, this writing. <laughs> Daniel comes in, and he just is like, hey, you can keep your gifts for yourself and just give your words to someone else. Because maybe some people there are like, all right. He goes, nevertheless, he goes, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. So Daniel says this. He says, your majesty, the most high, God gave, there's that phrase, God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and people of every language dreaded and feared him. But when his heart became arrogant or hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped from his glory until... He acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets them over anyone he wishes. He says, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. He's like, you remember this? You saw this? You knew when he was crazy? Like, every grandson reveres their grandfather. It's like, who is this? Like, he says, you saw this story. You knew what happened. You were warned. He said, instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. I'm going to skip ahead here. He begins to read these words. He says, this is what the words mean. Mene. Mene means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Your days are numbered. Your, your leadership was on loan. Tekel. You've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. You are accountable. And Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. You thought it was yours. God's like, it was never yours. It was never yours. God gives and taken away, and now he's taking away. And as, they had no idea that as they were there, the Persian engineers had already been working to divert a portion of the Euphrates River into a swamp outside the city. And this incredibly fortified city they're throwing this party like they'll just starve to death. The winter will come or something. They cannot get in. Well, the river began to go down. And the river flowed underneath these walls. And then it would go through the city, which is what allowed them to be so vibrant within those walls. And diverted the water supplies. And it caused the river levels to drop. And essentially, they had their version of the Navy, Navy SEALs. When they got low enough, they were able to get under the wall and come up and surprise. And kill all the guards guarding it. And open up these crazy, huge steel gates. And come in and ransack the city. 
Daniel tells us that very night that Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. That very night. Leadership for us, our life. We, need, we want to be reminded. It's a stewardship. It's temporary. And we are accountable. And we also can know that we can trust our heavenly Father. That he will do with those that are pursuing evil in this world as they should be. And we should be good stewards of the lives that we have been given. In uncertainty, there are things that we know that we can pursue. Let's remember to put God on his throne and to remember to love others. It gives us the proper perspective. This is our foundation. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are in your pursuit of us. God, may we glorify you with our lives and be reminded that you are on your throne and that you are just and we can trust you. Thank you. Ask this in your name. Amen.